Hello, everybody. Welcome into the Penn State 365 podcast presented by Nini Nation of the Rivals Network. I am Dylan Cowan Crowley, beat writer and recruiting analyst at Nini Nation. As always, I am joined by my co-host, Anthony Hazan and Marty Leap. Gentlemen, going to be a little bit of a long episode here today. Got, you know, uh, some notes to go over. I have to preview Penn State's special teams very quickly. But then we also have to do our Big Ten and national previews, as well as give some rapid uh, Week Zero predictions here, or picks, I should say. Uh, before we get into that, how's everybody doing? Uh, not too bad. You know, I, I started started school this week. My students are back on Wednesday. So it's all my all my fellow teachers out there. You know, I feel I feel your pain. I feel your struggle right now. But you know, football starts this weekend. High school football starts up tomorrow, Friday night. So tonight in Pennsylvania, we got week zero college football. Football's back. That's what matters. So you can't complain too much. Yeah, I'm I'm doing all right. I'm struggling a little bit. I unfortunately uh, caught uh, COVID in the last couple of days, but I'm doing okay. Just uh, kind of in recovery right now, popping ibuprofen. But, uh, you know, I'll be all right in the next few days, about halfway through my quarantine at this point. But like Marty said, most importantly, it's football season. We got college football on the TV, week zero. Uh, There's nothing you can be too upset about. And if I had to quarantine during one week, I might as well be during the first week of college football. I can bunker down and just watch football all day. Can't complain. All right, like we said, it's going to be a little bit of a jam-packed episode here. Uh, hopefully it won't go too long for everybody, but uh do have a lot to cover. We'll try not to spend too much time on one topic. Before we get into it, great time to remind you guys that our episode is presented by Perfect Franchise and Adam Goldman, uh, specifically over that Perfect Franchise. Uh, you Check him out, franchisecoach.net. Um, let's get into our uh, brief notes here for today, and then we'll preview Penn State special teams. Uh, so notes. Um, the big one is Penn State 2023 running back commitment in London Montgomery unfortunately suffered a torn ACL over this past weekend and will be out for his senior season at Scranton Prep. Just an unfortunate injury here, fellas, uh, for Montgomery. Um, don't it, It's not going to impact his recruitment or anything like that, uh, but, you know, he, he was a guy who was definitely on. Uh, on track to have a big senior season there for Scranton Prep. Had a terrific junior season. Uh, just unfortunate, but next time he suits up, he'll be in a Penn State uniform. Yeah, tough, tough break for London Montgomery. He was somebody that I thought could have a really big senior season. You know, he was somebody that uh, the staff thought was, you know, coming along really well, you know, in the off season, was working really hard. Uh, and he was prepared, I think, to have another 2,000-yard season, which he had last year for uh, for Scranton Prep. So um, just just an all-around shame anytime a kid loses his senior year. But thankfully for him, you know, he already um, was committed to Penn State. So for him, it's all about recovery and getting ready to uh, suit up at the next level. So I wish him best of luck in his recovery. Yeah, absolutely. You know, tough blow for the kid. You hate to see it, especially for a senior season. Um you know, you never want to see a kid lose their senior season of football. That 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 really sucks. But so the most important thing is in today's world, an ACL tear really is not it's nowhere near what it once was. So there's no reason to believe that he won't be able to get fully healthy. And, you know, whenever he does make it to campus next summer and be ready to make an impact for the Nittany Lions, potentially early in his career even. All right. Uh also, uh 
I, uh, this past weekend, uh, attended a scrimmage between uh, Wild Missing and uh, North Penn. Uh, uh, this past, like I said, this past weekend. With that, I did get to see offensive lineman Javen Williams, of course, committed to Penn State. Also saw Georgia and former Penn State wide receiver commit uh, Ezeed Haynes play. Williams, um, just quick thoughts on him. He looks every bit of his, I believe we have him at 6'4 on uh, rivals. Let me check here quickly. 6'5. He looks every bit of the 6'5, 300 pounds um, that we have him listed at. I will say, though, he he looks like he can carry another 20 to 30 pounds easily. He moved really well, very athletic offensive lineman. Uh, great run blocker, which you would expect. Uh, is concerned he plays in a triple option offense uh, there with while missing. That also means his pass protection is getting quite a bit of work once he does get to Penn State. But overall, I was impressed by what I saw of Williams. It was a scrimmage, so can't take a ton away from it. Um, I am planning on seeing him again um, later this year, um, and he'll obviously provide updates on that as well. Um, Moving on from that, uh, there is uh, a couple of Penn State commits and playing on television this week. Um, ESPN is showing, uh, including Thursday night, seven games the weekend of high school uh, games across the country. Uh, the big one for Penn State fans, of course, is St. Joe's Prep versus St. Thomas Aquinas on Saturday at 12 p.m. on ESPN. That game will feature, of course, uh, 2024 targets, Emilio Agard, David Washington Jr., Brandon Riemann, uh, Anthony, and as well as 2025 targets, Anthony Saka and running back slash linebacker Isaiah West out of St. Joe's Prep. And then with St. Thomas Aquinas, of course, you have uh, King Mack and Conrad Hussey, two commitments from the 2023 recruiting class, as well as 2024 running back Jordan Lyle. Uh, targets sprinkled in throughout the weekend. You can check that out on Indian Nation. We have a full article on it. Uh, but that game on Saturday at 12 p.m., certainly a game to watch there. Um, any thoughts on those quick two topics? No, no, we'll move on. Uh, Coming out of practice this past week, and uh, sorry, this past week, uh, the first one is 2022. Uh, <clears throat> 2022 uh, safety signing uh, Tyrese Mills has actually moved to linebacker for Penn State, which does make sense considering their uh, lack of depth at the position. Uh, he does have the ability still obviously play safety during his career at Penn State. But for now, they have moved Mills to linebacker. What are your guys' thoughts on the move for Mills? Not a super surprise. I think this was a move that even when he was a recruit, definitely was talked about. Um, a combination of his size, his athletic profile, what he does well in football field, and as you said, Dylan, Penn State's lack of depth at the position. Um, at, at team photo day this past Saturday, you know, if you take a look at the, at the linebacker pictures, you see Mills in there with the linebackers. So it, it's not, it's not a super surprise. I think he's a kid who definitely could make an impact at linebacker and probably early in his career coming in as a Juco kid. And Hey, the last two safeties, Penn state signed out of Lackawanna 
Things turned out pretty dang well for Jaquan Brisker. Looks like things are going to turn out pretty dang well for Tig Brown. So hopefully, even if it's a different position, Tyrese Mills follows in those same footsteps. Yeah, 100% agree. This was always uh, something that was predicted of Mills, you know, as he, you know, got into the weight room, put on more mass, more weight. It was anticipated that he would probably end up switching the linebacker. Plus, like you said, you know, it's it's needed. You know, we, we need uh, more guys at that Sam position, which is, you know, what he would be predicted to play since he has the coverage skills to be able to drop back and cover tight ends and receivers while also being able to get in the box and tackle guys against the run. So I think the move makes a lot of sense, and I think that's where he best fits in, you know, this Penn State defense. Also on the defensive side of the ball, safety is a key. Weebly had a redshirt season last year. Uh, this spring had a huge uh, spring uh, development-wise. Really stood out was the turnover king this spring. Well, in fall camp, he followed that up with another uh, turnover king, uh, I, I guess you could say, um, superlative uh, falling then to fall camp this past week. Uh, Weedley, uh, I think he's going to be a guy we see play quite a bit for Penn State this fall. I think there's a chance we see him start uh, for a, a good portion of the season as well. Somebody who's really coming to his own over the last uh, six or so months. And I don't want to say I'm terribly surprised by it, but um, I was not I, not expecting him to, I guess, make this sort of potential impact this early on in his career. Uh, but uh, if he do, is able to translate his success from camp into the season, Penn State's depth at safety was already uh, terrific. Uh, but if Wheatley is truly able to take that step to being a start in safety at this level, uh, that's a huge victory for Penn State. Yeah, no, he's absolutely been a very pleasant surprise early on in his career. I always thought that down the road he'd have an opportunity to make an impact, but I, I didn't think he'd be the starting or potentially be the uh, starting safety along with Yair Brown in his second year in the program. So uh, that that's awesome for Wheatley that he's he's been this this good in camp. And it's really been sustained for the past six, seven months, like you said. So um, we'll see. If he could have a big year this year, I mean, that'll really help, you know, with Penn State's, you know, kind of reputation right now of developing safeties for the next level, help them build that. So good for Wheatley. And, yeah, that, that room looks incredibly, incredibly stacked right now. Yeah, I agree with everything you guys said. You know, it's not like not a super surprise to see Wheatley as a starter, maybe this early. Um, all all signs seem to point towards him starting opposite Tig Brown against Purdue. And man, if you can have Tig Brown, who I think last year led the Big Ten, maybe even the country in interceptions from the safety position, if I remember correctly, with what seven or eight, and put a guy who's been an absolute ball hawk since the spring all throughout practice beside him. It, that could be a lot of fun because we talk about how good we've talked a bunch about how good this secondary can be. If you have two legitimate ball hawking safeties back there, man, that, that really changes the dynamic of a defense, especially in a conference where, you know, with Purdue, with an Ohio state, you're going to, you're going to face some pretty stiff passing attacks throughout the season, including like we said, right off the bat with Purdue. Agree with both of you there. Uh, and then finally, another big note is that, um, in his media available availability on Monday after practice, running back coach Dwan Sider said that both 
true freshman Nick Singleton and Catron Allen will see significant snaps against Purdue. Uh, this, I don't think, is any shock to us. Those two have been uh, the talk of camp on the offensive side of the ball this fall. Uh, Singleton has a chance to be um, a dynamic uh, game changer at the position from day one. Allen has been very impressive as well. And once Keziah Holmes entered the transfer portal earlier this month, uh, it seemed all the more likely Allen was going to see a big role himself. Um, so nothing shocking here, but uh, I know it will relieve some Penn State fans to hear that that is, in fact, the plan here as they head into week one against Purdue. Absolutely. Give me Nick Singleton. Give me all the Nick Singleton. I think Nick Singleton is going to be one of the most special backs, maybe one of the most special players to ever come through this program. Um, it also looks like there's a good chance we're going to see him returning kicks next Thursday, which could be a lot of fun. And with Cadron Allen, I know we've talked about him on here a lot, of the guy who kind of gets slept on probably because of Singleton and how highly rated and touted he is in this class. But I've always made this comparison, and I will continue to, as lazy of a comparison as it may be for a lot of reasons. Catron Allen reminds me so much of Noah Kane coming out of high school and local Penn State got out of Noah Kane in 2019. You know, if not for injuries, Kane is probably on an NFL roster right now and would have put together a tremendous three-year career at Penn State. And I think Allen can be that same player, can be a very similar player. So yeah, I think the more we see the freshman, the better. Obviously, you still expect Keevon Lee to start the game against Purdue and get the first carry because that's just how James Franklin's going to do it, especially starting on the road against a conference opponent. But hopefully we will see Nick Singleton and Catron Allen early enough against Purdue, especially if we do see some of the ball security issues that Keevon Lee has had in the past pop up. Yeah, like you said, I would expect Keevon Lee to get that first carry just because, you know, he's still he's still a, a solid player. It's easy to forget he averaged five yards per carry last year. But, you know, I, I do think that those two freshmen <clears throat> are two of the most talented running backs. They are the two most talented running backs on this roster right now. And I would expect, as the year goes on, I've said it before, I'll say it again, that they will end up being the two starting running backs by the midpoint of the season. No disrespect to Kevon Lee or Devin Ford, but I just think that they are that much better as players, even at this point in their careers. Um, and I just think that the potential of this offense with them in the backfield goes up tremendously. So, you know, we'll see how long it takes a Nick Singleton to, to take over that starting spot, but I can't imagine it'll be long. Agreed. I, I've been preaching it all fall uh, on the side. I think uh, we will see Singleton take over the starting role. Uh, I I think that within the, I don't think within the first three games because Purdue is a tough challenge. Obviously, uh, I think we could see him get significant snaps against Ohio, Auburn. I know it's he's just a running back, quote unquote. But I mean that is that would be a very tough place to go for your first start. Uh, but I mean Central starting Central Michigan or Northwestern, I could see him potentially being the starting running back, depending on how he performs in those first three games. Uh, you think that is that a crazy reasoning, or or do you guys think that's uh, probably an accurate, you know, thought process on that? I mean, I don't think it's it's off. It's totally off 
off to think that way. I, I just, I don't know. I do think there's a possibility though, where Keevon Lee quote unquote starts against Auburn, but you see Singleton get more carries because you know you're going to be playing what's going to be a raucous environment at Jordan Hare Stadium Week Three Absolutely. against a very good, very athletic Auburn defense, and you're going to want that home run threat ability. Now, now one thing I will mention to the running backs is if you go back and listen to what Jay Wan Sider said to me the other day. He hinted a lot at the running back seeing the field, maybe not necessarily in the backfield. So I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that we see a lot of Nick Singleton potentially coming out of the slot early in the season too, which again, just get your playmakers in space and get the ball in their hands. So I think we could potentially see a lot of that for Singleton early in the season as well. I, I definitely agree that uh, I think Lee could be the quote-unquote starter, but I would not be shocked at all if Singleton ends up with the most carries against Purdue, against Auburn, or at any point throughout the season, uh, especially consistently as they head deeper into the season. Yeah, just a real quick comment on that as well. This reminds me a lot of 2015 with the Akeel Lynch, Saquon Barkley, you know, backfields. I don't want to call it a conundrum, but what they dealt with back in 2015 with those two. You know, for a lot of those games, Akeel Lynch was the quote-unquote starter, the one announced as the starting running back. But it was very clear that Saquon Barkley was getting the the majority of the carries, like I'm saying like 80 to 90% of them. So I could see a lot of that with Kevon Lee and Nick Singleton, you know, as the season wears on. I completely understand not wanting to throw Nick Singleton in that situation against Purdue week one you know, fully anyway. I mean, you want to get him carries. You want to get him exposure to that environment. But, you know, let Kevon Lee start off. I think he's earned that start. He's he's a solid running back in his own right. But like I've said, that talent is just going to be too much to not play him often. And, yeah, I, I can see that kind of situation where for the first five, six weeks, Lee is the quote-unquote starter, but Singleton is the one getting most of the carries. All right. Uh, well, that's all I got in my notes. Let's quickly move on to our special teams preview. Really quick on this one, guys. Um, and kind of coming off the notes here, uh, Penn State did award a scholarship this week uh, with the help of New York Giants legendary quarterback Eli Manning. As much that you know, as an Eagles fan, that hurts me to say. Um, but Eli Manning helped Penn State award punter Barney Moore a scholarship. Uh, for this season. Um, I think that's a pretty good indication that he's going to be the starting punter entering the season. Uh, he's been the front runner all fall of fall camp has performed very well from everything we've heard. Um, I don't think fans should necessarily obviously expect him to be on the level of Blake Gilligan and Jordan Stout, but I think Moore should be able to come in for Penn state at punter and provide them consistency and he won't be a liability back there either. He, I don't know if he'll necessarily be, you know, a weapon like Gilligan and Stout were, but he'll be, he won't be a liability either. Um, thoughts on um, a more as the potential starting punter. Yeah, no, first off, congratulations to uh, Barney Amore on, on earning a scholarship. Um, you know, once Kaziah Holmes and Ken Talley transferred out of the program, that left two open scholarships for Penn State to use. They decided to use one on Barney Amore. So I think that all but solidifies, like you said, him being the starting punter. 
this season. There'd really be no need to give the backup punter a scholarship. But, um, yeah, good for him earning the starting role. Um, I, like you said, as long as he can, you know, he might not be a weapon like Stout or Gillikin, but if he can, you know, flip field position on a consistent basis, pin offenses, you know, within their 15, 10-yard line consistently, you know, that's all you really ask of a punter to do. So, yeah, we'll see how he, how he does. A slight surprise to me just because I thought Alex Pachetta would come in and, you know, I thought he he was the number one punter in the country last year. I thought he'd come in and, and get that starting spot pretty quickly, but this allows you to redshirt him. And I think Amore is a senior anyway. So next year you expect Pachetta to take over that starting punter position. But good for Barney Amore and congratulations. Yeah, Moore is a redshirt senior this season. Yeah, the only thing I was going to add on Barney Amore is he's not a slouch either. And, and I realize it's Colgate, but I feel like, you know, Colgate to the Big Ten, if there's anything that can can translate pretty well, it's punting. Because um, punting is punting, you know. But in, in 2019 with Colgate, he averaged 43 yards a punt. So it's not like, you know, the, it's not like he can't kick the ball. So he averaged 43 yards a punt in 2019 with Colgate. Did not play in 2020 because the Patriot League did not play due to COVID. And didn't play last year because Penn State had one of the best punters in the country. So it's not like Barney Moore doesn't have the the leg strength and the ability to be a be a solid punter. Absolutely, and great points out of you there, by out of you, Marty, regarding a Moore um, kicker. Um, I feel like is going to be uh, any given week a strength or a weakness for Penn State. It's all going to come back to the consistency for them at that position. Uh, obviously, Jake Pinnaker returns. He's been up and down throughout his career. Uh, Sander Shadak was the number one kicker coming out of high school two years ago. Um, has shown flashes in practice, but it seems like, again, consistency is an issue there. Uh, Marty, you can start here. Just what's your feelings on kicker overall? I mean, it's it's definitely not a strength for Penn State entering the season based off what we know and what we're hearing just because of that lack of consistency. And it, that, I think, is going gonna, gonna to play a big factor, obviously, here throughout Penn State's season because they're going to need to be able to, you know, make some 40-plus yard kicks here to win – win games against some of these tougher opponents. Yeah. Kicker is definitely something that worries me into the season. You mentioned inconsistency and that's definitely the key word here. I mean, you look at, look at Jake Pinninger up and down to the true freshman in 2018, but finished the season strong 2019 only missed one field goal. only missed one extra point. And then 2020 just, you know, he's the thing started to come off the rails for Pinninger last year. We didn't even see Pinninger kick. If I remember correctly until the Outback bowl, um, yeah, so you don't know what you're going to get in Jake Pinniger. If you can get anything near what you did from him in 2019, you're going to feel good about it. But you mentioned long field goals. That's always been a weakness of his. So do we see Sahadak do some of the longer kicks? I'm assuming Sahadak will do kickoffs. I don't know. But, man, I tell you, I just you, you kind of get that, that sick feeling, that worried feeling deep in your gut that there's going to be a game this year. Penn State's going to lose it by three or less because they wind up getting a position in the fourth quarter at some point to kick a go-ahead or tying field goal and wind up missing it because you just have no idea where it's going to go to the kicker position this season. Yeah, I'm going to be 100% honest. I've got trust issues with Jake Penninger. 
You know, I just he, when he's been, you know, the kicker, the place kicker for Penn State, it's usually been kicks within 40 yards. It's, it's been what we would consider to be chip shots, chip shots. And he's been pretty inconsistent at best with those as well. So a part of me was really hoping Sahadak would be able in his second season to take over that starting job and grab control of it. Um, it seems like that hasn't quite happened yet. I think he's probably got the bigger leg of the two, which is why he might do deeper kicks. He might, he's probably going to end up being the guy for kickoffs. So um, we'll see what happens as the year goes on. But yeah, I definitely, for Pinnaker, it's it's going to be kind of prove it for me because I, I don't, I, I'm concerned, definitely. And I believe, as Marty may have pointed out, but also worth re saying about Pinnaker. Pinnaker basically didn't really play last year either. He played against Michigan State and Arkansas. Jordan Stout had the majority of the kicking duties last year. Um, so, I mean, this is a kid who obviously hasn't gotten a ton of in-game action lately either. Well, outside those two games, basically, in over a year, which how is that going to affect him? And then with Shadak, obviously, he hasn't ever kicked in a college game yet, and you you have two early big games against Purdue and Auburn where you'll probably need to hit at least one or two field goals to win either of those games. Um, I, I mean, they're going to be tested here early on against those two teams, I think. And both are going to be very hostile environments as well, worth, worth noting as well. Yeah, I will tell you this. If they're in Auburn week three and they're driving down the field Shelling by three or less in the last few minutes. I'm going to be hoping and praying for a touchdown because it could be a after what we saw against Indiana in 2020, it could be a, a 25 yard chip shot. And I'm not going to trust Pinnaker to make it and am on the road like that. And I mean, like I said, he, he couldn't do it against Indiana with nobody in the stands two years ago. I'm, I'm not going to have any faith at all. He's going to go nail one in front of however many 80,000 people, whatever it is, a Jordan Hare. All right, going to the return portion of the game, obviously Penn State has lost Jahan Dotson, who was who returned a lot of punts last year. Um, that being said, unlike a kicker, I, I think punt and kick return for Penn State are two areas where they have so much talent and so many guys who can uh, return the ball, ball and be dynamic and honestly be a threat to uh, take it to the house anytime they touch the ball that they they could really plug and play um, multiple guys back there throughout the season and probably get good production out of it uh, obviously you want to find one guy and stick to it uh, could that be a Parker Washington could that be a Nick Singleton could that be a Devin Ford could that be an Amari Evans uh, so on and so forth I think there's definitely a lot of guys they could put on put in back there and uh, They'll be just fine out of it. It I don't think would be anything of a concern for Penn State entering the season. Yeah, I one hundred percent agree. Penn State has a bunch of athletes and and dynamic playmakers that I don't think kick and punt returner will ever be a, a, a true issue for for Penn State. You know, kick return. I I think that's where Devin Ford's biggest role is going to be. I would expect him to be the starting kick returner. But Nick Singleton is somebody that I think is just going to be so dynamic that it's going to be hard to keep him off the field, in my opinion. And I, I think kick returner could be a way to get him involved early as well. 
And then punt return, Parker Washington makes the most sense. Would love to see an Amari Evans or Caden Saunders, especially with their speed. I'd love to see them maybe in some more low-pressure situations, get some punt returns, see what they can do. But yeah, I, I don't think it'll be a problem at all. Yes, I am. The return game is the least of my concerns this season, especially on special teams. Um, I I am just waiting for Nick Singleton to break when I think he takes a kick back to the house some point this year. And Anthony, you mentioned upon return, like you said, Parker Washington makes sense. He's got the hands. He's not going to muff the ball around back there. He's not going to try and do something stupid and turn, you know, nothing into a big gain and lose 10 yards and hurt you in field position. But man, it would be, it'd be a lot of fun. Even if it's against Ohio in the fourth quarter, when it's 45 to 10, let Amari Evans go back there and try and run one. Let Saunders try and run one. Even Daquan Hardy, if you want to try and get a little, a little more explosiveness back to a player you trust. But like you said, most importantly, they've got a lot of weapons they can use in the return game, and I'm just excited to see how it shakes out. And that, That's one of my bold predictions for the season. Nick Singleton will run at least one kickback for a score this year. Before we move on, we should definitely pay the bills here. Uh, are you a displaced corporate executive or wanting to put your career in your own hands? Are you an experienced entrepreneur wanting to diversify? Well, Adam Goldman can help. Adam is a Ninny Nation member, a Ninny Lines fan, and a franchise veteran for over a decade. Using his expertise, he helps others find their American dream through a very thorough and free consultation process. 100% free. So what do you have to lose? Your own new business made easy. Find your perfect franchise at FranchiseCoach.net or call Adam at any time at 844-800-3726. Again, 844-800-3726 or at FranchiseCoach.net. All right, moving on. Should we go to our Big Ten preview, really quick Big Ten preview, or should we give our Penn State predictions first? I think I think maybe do Big Ten quickly uh, and then – that could feed into our predictions for Penn State going into the year. Thoughts? All right, let's do that. Let's start with the Big Ten then. We're just going to go in, uh, I guess, my projected order of finish. If you guys think that they may finish higher than where I had them, uh, feel free. We'll start in the Big Ten East, and we'll just, I, I mean, give a quick uh, couple thoughts on each team. Nothing in-depth here. Uh, if you're a... Big enough Penn State fan that you're following the podcast, I assume that you're likely a big enough college football fan or at least Penn State fan that you know most of the big names on uh, Big Ten teams. Uh, so starting in the Big Ten is we'll start at the very top with Ohio State. I have the Buckeyes. I I think they probably go 12-0, but I also – have a feeling that they do get tripped up at some point this season. So I have Ohio State 11-1 this year, guys. I, I don't know what you can really say about this team besides that. This is arguably the most talented team in the country, potentially the most talented offense in the country. Maybe the most talented offense Ohio State has had in quite a while. Uh, C.J. Stroud, Jackson Smith and Jigba, uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., um, the list goes on and on of people they have in that offense. Trevion Henderson, the defense is talented. Um, they bring in Jim Knowles, one of the best defense coordinators in the country. This Ohio State team is going to be very tough to beat. I don't know if anybody really is going to beat them. But, again, I do think they do get tripped up somewhere. Uh, 
I'm going to just put it out there. I have Ohio State win the Big Ten. I have Ohio State get into the college football playoff. Uh, and I have Ohio State get into the national championship. But uh, besides that, nothing really else to say about Ohio State. They're obviously one of the best teams in the country and by far the best team in the Big Ten. Yeah, you said it. Maybe the best offense in the country. I think arguably the best team in the country. Arguably the best coach in the country in Ryan Day. Buckeyes, I think, I agree. They, I think they win the Big Ten. They wind up in the college football playoff. Yeah, same boat. They're going to be in the playoff, in my opinion, probably in the national championship game. I personally have Alabama winning it all, but I think that offense is good enough to uh, – it's one of the best in the country, but it's good enough to get them to the national championship game. Uh, moving on, Michigan. I actually do have the Wolverines tied with Penn State at 10-2 and two on the year. Uh, the Wolverines, the big thing to know here is they lost uh, quite a bit on defense, returned just four starters in 2022. Uh, but on offense, they do return quite a few big names. Of course, Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards, Cade McNamara, Cornelius Johnson, Eric Gall. And then with McNamara, they also obviously return J.J. McCarthy. Uh, quarterback will be an interesting thing to watch there with the Wolverines. I think... It's weird. I think, guys, they got to the playoffs last year. They won the Big Ten. But it's been such a down season, off season for them. Lost a ton of players. Lost both coordinators. Recruiting hasn't been great. It, it feels like they haven't carried any of that momentum from last season. Uh, I, I do think, though, that they'll have a pretty good year on the field. Uh, a favorable schedule uh, to start the year before Iowa, Penn State, Michigan State, uh Nebraska and Ohio State in the back half of their schedule. Thoughts? Yeah, I'll go first on this one. Michigan is a team that, you know, I think they will win at least nine games this year just because I think their team was so strong last year that they're returning a lot of that. But they're also losing a lot of those key pieces, especially on the defensive line. And that's what made them really so dominant and what's what carried them to the playoff. Their quarterback battle is very interesting to me. I think – at what point does J.J. McCarthy get sick of not playing over Cade McNamara when he's clearly the better player? Um, that'll be an interesting storyline to follow at what point he takes that job if he ever does. But yeah, I, I think how they replace those pieces on the D-line will really be the difference but for them between winning eight games and winning 10 or even 11 games. I agree with everything you guys said, but I think you look at their schedule, they get a lot of games at home. The non-conference is a joke. I think Michigan winds up winning 10 games, had a really good running attack, probably finishes second in the Big Ten East because I think they beat Penn State. Um, but, yeah, I think Michigan finds a way to get to 10 wins, and as we will get to, I do think the Big Ten East could have three 10-win teams in it, though. All right, like I said, I have Penn State at 10-2. and two. We've talked about the Nittany Lions, of course, all uh, summer. Uh, moving on, Michigan State, I have the – Spartans at nine and three. I feel like this may be a little bit of a favorable record for them. I think it's certainly possible. Uh, I do have them losing, of course, to Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State. Wouldn't be shocked if they won one of the Michigan or Penn State games, um, but wouldn't be shocked if they lost all those. And then you know, Wisconsin it would be a tough game. Minnesota will be a tough game. Washington could be a sneaky game for them as well. Uh, notable return returners for them this year: Payton throwing a quarterback. Jaden Reed at wide receiver, Trey Mosley at wide receiver. They did bring in running back 
uh, Jarek Broussard from Colorado. He averaged 5.7 yards per carry last year. They returned nine starters on defense. Um, do lose a little bit on offense. Uh, my biggest worry with the Spartans is when you are taken from the transfer portal this much, how do you build a strong culture within your program? Uh, I, I don't know if it's that possible and i feel like the consistency level it, it just it isn't going to be there that being able to go in the transit portal and have that type of success year after year seems pretty unsustainable uh but i think they're likely in for at least eight wins uh potential and then potentially nine yeah i agree with all that with michigan state good team great coaching staff um, I think they finished fourth in division behind Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State, which I think those top three can get to 10 wins. Um, but, yeah, I think the Spartans win at least eight. Won't surprise they win nine. Hell, won't surprise they win 10. It's just that's what Michigan State's done since the Mark D'Antonio era, isn't it? No matter what, no any time you think you can count them out, they find a way. They're going to get eight, nine, ten wins because that's what Michigan State does. Yeah, I feel like eight and four uh, makes the most sense for Michigan State this year. Um, I just don't know how they're going to replace uh, that running attack with Kenneth Walker. Um, I just think he was a huge part of that offense. And when they kind of went as he went, um, I don't know a whole lot about this Michigan State team this year, to be honest. It's always tough to predict a team that builds mostly through the transfer portal. So, you know, we'll see how they, you know, gel together this year. But, you know, it wouldn't shock me if they went nine and three. Um, but I'm going to have them at eight and four. Next up is a very intriguing team for me, Maryland. I have the Terrapins going 7-5 and five this year. I mean, potentially a top five offense in the Big Ten. Uh, Talia Tagovailoa returns. Rakeem Jarrett, Dante Dimas, they return all their offensive line from last year. Returned seven stars on defense as well, uh, nine on offense. Um, and look at their schedule here. Buffalo, Charlotte, SMU, at Michigan, Michigan State, Purdue, at Indiana, Northwestern. I think there's a good chance that Maryland is looking at a 6-2 and two start heading into the end of October and is a top 20 team, maybe pushing top 15, 15 team in the country. That being said, uh, after their bye week on October 29th uh, at Wisconsin, at Penn State versus Ohio State, I have them losing all three of those. So, I mean, I think this is a year, a year that the Terrapins may get off to an incredibly strong start at 6-2, and two, maybe 7-1 and one if they could upset Michigan or Michigan State. Um, but, again, those last four games uh, with Michigan, with, uh, sorry, Wisconsin, Penn State, and Ohio State, uh, tough way to end it, but could be a nice start here for the Terrapins. Yeah, Maryland's a really tough team to predict just because that offense could be potent. You know, if Talia can cut down on the mistakes, and obviously those wide receivers are one of the best in the Big Ten, if not best in the one of the best in the country, you know, th this offense could carry them to seven or even eight wins potentially, depending on how things shake out for them. But, you know, that defense, there's really not a lot that you can say about the defense. I think it's a pretty mediocre to below average defense. That offensive line is always an issue for them. I know they bring back a lot of guys, but they've never really been a solid offensive line, so that doesn't mean a whole lot to me. So I do have a question about Talia staying upright back there in the backfield and not running for his life all the time. But, 
But yeah, this is a team that's going to score a lot of points, but they also might give up a lot of points. So I think seven and five makes a lot of sense for them, which would be a career year for Loxley, all things considered. I think the biggest takeaway for Maryland is bet the over this year on all their games. Yeah, I feel like Maryland overs will be a principal play this season between their offense and defense. But agree with everything you guys said. A very talented team might be the best group of receivers in the country, but I don't know if their defense is going to stop anybody. And ultimately, as good as they could be, their coach is still Mike Waxley. So while it's a team that I think is capable of winning eight games, I just I can't trust them to get the better in seven and five. But if you're a Maryland fan, I think you need to realize that going seven and five in the Big Ten East, that's really good for your program and something you should not be ashamed of and something that can be a building block. I will say, and they do have, with Jared and Demas, I mean, that is, like Marty said, one of the best one-two punches of wide receiver in the country. That being said, after those, which is is where one of my concerns comes in, is they lost their uh, third through seventh top receivers from last year, whether they were wide receivers, tight ends, or running backs. So it, they returned their top two, and then uh, the next uh, closest – Receiver had 224 yards and 18 receptions. So a little bit of depth there, question marks at uh, for Maryland beyond the top two. But overall, that those top two, Talia is going to be able to throw to them 90% of the time and be okay, in my opinion. All right. Uh, going on, I actually have Rutgers finishing uh, second to last at 3-9 and nine on the season which would be a step back from their uh, four five-win season a year ago. But tough schedule uh, for them overall uh, with a couple improved teams on their schedule. Just not not much there for Greg Shano's team. I mean, quarterback Gavin Wimsat is uh, intriguing, but uh, he still has a lot long ways to go in his development overall, in my opinion. Defensively, um, they lose quite a bit, lost quite a bit as well. Uh, so, I mean, they, maybe they pick up a surprise win somewhere along the road, but I think they're likely a 3 19 this year. Yeah, Rutgers is Rutgers. Um, Shiano is going to always be a, a Shiano team, always going to be tough to play. They're going to play you hard. That's the culture he creates, but it's Rutgers. So, yeah, I think they probably go 3 9, 4 8, something like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I still think Shiano's teams, you know, they play hard. They give 100% effort. You know, there's there's still a lot to like if you're a Rutgers fan in terms of what he's doing there. But, yeah, this is this is still Rutgers at the end of the day. And four wins would, would be a good season for them, all things considered. But, you know, we'll see. Wimsat has potential down the road, but... I think he's the type of quarterback that in a perfect scenario, he's probably sitting two to three years before he actually, you know, sees the field. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see if he can do anything for Rutgers this year. And then finally in the Big Ten, I have Indiana at two and ten. Sorry, Big Ten East, I have Indiana at two and ten. Uh, they returned just five stars on offense. Uh, lost quite a bit, including running back Stephen Carr, um, Michael Panix. Payton and Hendershaw, Ty Fry Fogle, uh, and then they lost on defense Micah McFadden and Raheem Lane. 
Uh, Tom Allen, nice guy, good coach, but uh, yeah, I see another very tough season for him and uh, the Hoosiers. Uh, come, you know, just two years removed from that six and two season in 2020, and their eight and five se- season in 2019. Uh, another tough year for them. Yeah, Tom Allen definitely missed an opportunity by not uh, climbing the ladder for a better job after that 2020 campaign. Um, because it's, it's, those teams were definitely built based off of, you know, a lot of talented upperclassmen and he did a great job building those teams, but now he's definitely in a rebuilding years now that those guys are gone and it's going to be tough for him. So, uh, yeah, this is, Indiana's probably one of, if not the worst teams in the big 10, maybe they're slightly better than Rutgers. You can kind of flip flop those two if you want to, but yeah, it's going to be a tough year for Indiana in my opinion. I agree. I think it's between Indiana and Northwestern for the worst team in the Big Ten this year. Um, And also agree to Tom Allen point. You know, he he had the opportunity to jump for a better job, and he didn't do it. And I wonder how much he may regret that now because ultimately Indiana is Indiana. And I think for a lot of reasons, they're a program that once they fall to the basement of the Big Ten East, which they would do, if they go two and ten again, be back to back years that way. I don't. I don't think they can crawl out of it the way even like a Rutgers or a Maryland could for a variety of reasons. Sorry, I was muted. Uh, moving on to the Big Ten West. Does anybody want to guess who I have as my favorite to win uh, that division? It shouldn't be a shocker. Gonna guess Wisconsin. What a genius you are, Anthony. I have Wisconsin at 10 and 2. That being said, this is all banking on the fact that I think Graham Mertz may be able to take the next step in his uh development. Who knows? If Graham Mertz plays the way he did last year, I I don't think Wisconsin wins this division. But if he is able to play at a quality level this year, I think Wisconsin is probably a 10 and 2 team. Um, but they do have some tough uh, matchups at Ohio State, at Michigan State, home against Purdue. Um, Maryland could be an intriguing matchup for them. At Iowa, at Nebraska, versus Minnesota. So, I mean, 10-2 and two I think is possible, but if they go 7-5 or 8-4, and four, I would not be shocked. It all comes back down to Graham Mertz. They're going to be able to run the ball, that's for sure. Their defense will be good, even though they have to replace a ton there. I mean, they only return three stars on defense. Um but, yeah, if uh, they can move the ball through the air, you know, to stay uh, on pace with the Ohio States, uh, Michigan States, uh, Maryland, Nebraska, Minnesota, I think uh, they have a pretty good shot going to too. But, again, it all comes down to Mertz. Yeah, I agree with Wisconsin. It all hinges on Graham Mertz. Um, I don't necessarily think they're a shoe in to win the Big Ten West. I think Wisconsin, Iowa, or Minnesota could all do that much of a surprise. But, yeah, Wisconsin all comes down to Graham Mertz because if they can't throw the football, teams are going to put nine runners or nine guys in a box and dare Braden Allen to beat them. 100% agree. They are nowhere, nowhere near a lock for the Big Ten West. I, I could see all those teams you mentioned winning yeah, I think Braylon Allen's a stud. Um, I think he's somebody that is going to put 
the entire college football world on notice this year. I'm really high on his potential. But yeah, I think, you know, if Graham Mertz was going to take the next step, I feel like we would have seen some hint of it last year. And I don't really think we did personally. He did he did play better towards the tail end of, of last season. I'll give him credit for that. But I just don't know if Graham Mertz is ever going to be the guy that we thought he could be. And I think that's going to end up holding Wisconsin back at the end of the day, regardless of how much they lean on their running attack. So, you know, I think Wisconsin, regardless of that, the West is so weak that they st- should still be either at the top or, you know, somewhere between two and wherever. But, you know, we'll, I mean like number two in, in the West, but we'll see what happens with them. It'll be interesting to follow. I actually have a three-way tie for second place in the Big Ten West right now with Nebraska, Minnesota, and Iowa all at eight and four. Um, Tiebreaker-wise, I'm not sure how it would all work out. So we'll just start with, uh, I guess, uh, Nebraska and work to Iowa there. Uh, So in Nebraska, there are uh, a sneaky pick here to win the Big Ten West. I wouldn't even say a sneaky pick. They are the popular pick to win the Big Ten West this year. Understandably, they have Casey Thompson uh, coming in from Texas this offseason. They returned quite a bit from last year. Everybody likes to call them the best three-win team in the history of college football. Uh, I do think they'll be improved this year, obviously. I, I have them an 8-4. and four. Um, I think they get off to a 5-1 and one start. Uh, but I think the back half of their schedule has some challenges. And I think it's going to come down to... Can Nebraska stop beating themselves? That's just what they've done under Scott Frost consistently is they beat themselves. Scott Frost has, I think, proven to be an overrated head coach. Um, and I, I don't think I don't think they will win the Big Ten West this year because I just don't trust them enough uh, to not beat themselves in a big game at some point. Um, so, yeah, I think Nebraska – could they win the Big Ten West? Sure, but they're probably going to trip themselves up and lose a stupid game somewhere throughout the season. Yeah, no. Um, Nebraska is such an interesting case this year because, as we all know, they went 3-9 and nine last year, but they were, as everyone called them, the best 3-9 and nine team in the country last year because every game that they lost, or at least I think 7 out of 9 of them, they lost within 7 points. So, yeah, like you said, a lot of those games where either they beat themselves or just late game collapses where their talent wasn't able to hold up with the team they were playing. So it'll be very interesting to see if the pieces that they brought in via the transfer portal and recruiting will be enough for them to turn some of those losses into wins. I, I do think that they're better than 3-9. and nine. I expect them to be a bowl team this year just because I think they have enough to get to that point. Whether that's six and six, seven and five, eight and four, nine and three is really anybody's guess. But yeah, I expect an improved Nebraska, but it, it would be a stretch for me to say that I think they'll win the West this year. I know that's the bold pick right now. I agree. I think Nebraska gets to a bowl game. If not, there's a 0% chance Scott Frost is back next year, and he's probably never allowed in the town of Lincoln again the rest of his life. Um, but, yeah, I just I have no faith in Scott Frost running this program. I think they could go anywhere from 6-6 six to six to 9-3 and three without surprising me, but I would pick on the low run. I think 8-4, and 7-5. Like you guys said, they'll, 
they'll lose a game they have no business losing to like Illinois or something like that. Hell, it wouldn't surprise me if they lose on Saturday against Northwestern. Um, but yeah, Nebraska will find a way to Nebraska it up and uh, probably wind up seven and five when in reality they should likely be better. All right, let's go on to Minnesota. I, I think Minnesota is actually my sneaky uh, dark horse in the Big Ten West to win that division. Um, I mean, they returned Tanner Morgan, who kind of like Sean Clifford has had an up-and-down career, hasn't always been able to put it all together consistently. But they Muhammad Ibrahim returns fully healthy. Trey Potts is fully healthy. Um, Chris Alvin Bell returns. Dylan White Wright has a chance to be a huge wide receiver for them as well. Um, and then PJ Fleck is just one of the most underrated coaches in the country still to this day. His teams always play hard. They know how to win football games. Uh, they may not have the best athletes, but they play smart football overall. Um, I have them, like I said, at eight of four. Uh, I think they get off to a four and one start this year, uh, even five and one. Uh, but down the stretch, Penn State, Nebraska, Iowa, Wisconsin, all tough games. Uh, and then Illinois is going to be, you know, sneaky. Purdue is going to be uh, a quality opponent. Uh, so I, I think eight and four is likely. Seven and five, I can see. Uh, but I can also see them uh, going ten and two. Obviously, Kirk Sherrock is back at. Minnesota as their offensive corner, and they had great success under him in the past as well. I'm with you with being high in Minnesota. I think it's a really good football team, um, with big part of it being having Kirk Schrock and Tanner Morgan back together. I know we've talked about this, and it's just incredible to think um, the last time Penn State played Minnesota, and here we are three years later, and it's still Tanner Morgan against Sean Clifford, and, and, and Kirk Schrock is – coordinating that Minnesota offense. But, yeah, it would not surprise me at all to see Minnesota win the Big Ten West, see Minnesota win 10 games. I, I think it's a good football team. I think they will prove to be a worse, the second-best team in the Big Ten West this year. And I can't – I think they go probably 9-3. and three, But, like I said, if they go 10-2, and two, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I think Mo Ibrahim is going to cause problems for teams this year. I think we all forgot how good he is you know, with his injury last year that kept him out the majority of the season. So, you know. He, he was on pace for like 300 yards against Ohio State, too, before he tore his Achilles. It was ridiculous. Yeah, no, he's incredibly talented. He's probably one of the best running backs in the Big Ten. I mean, and I feel like everyone's kind of forgotten about him. In the country. Yeah, in the country. I, I, I agree there, too. So Tanner Morgan, kind of like Sean Clifford, is the big enigma for Minnesota. Which version of him are you going to get? You know, now that you have Sharaka back as the offensive coordinator, are they going to get that 2019 version of Tanner Morgan that had so much success with Minnesota? Or are they going to get the 2020-2021 version that has kind of been a letdown? You know, it, time will tell. But, you know, that will really determine for Minnesota whether or not, you know, they win six games or they can get to eight games. Agreed. Moving on to Iowa. I mean, we know what we're going to get out of the Hawkeyes. They're going to be a sound football team. They're going to be able to run the ball. They're going to play good defense. Uh, I have them at eight and four. I think that's probably right about uh, where they should be. I could definitely see nine wins and any, 
you, you could tell me Iowa could win 10 games. I wouldn't be shocked either. Iowa's always going to be a good football team. I think, however, the difference with them being 8-4 and four and 10-2 and two this year is kind of like with Wisconsin. It's going to come down to Spencer Petras. Like, like I said, they're going to be able to run the ball. But if they're going to want to win games against, you know, uh, Michigan, Ohio, they're not going to beat Ohio State, but uh, Ohio State, even Minnesota and Nebraska, Wisconsin, they're going to be able to have to throw the ball a, a good portion. Uh, maybe don't have to be terribly explosive, but you're going to have to be able to move the ball through the air as well. And I just don't know if I trust Spencer Petras uh, to be able to do that at a consistent level this season. Yeah, I'm with you. Iowa is Iowa. You know what you're going to get from Iowa. You know what you're going to get from a Kirk Ferentz coach team. Tremendous defense. They're going to run the football. Um, and they're not going to be interested in throwing the ball because the forward pass I don't think exists in the state of Iowa. Um, Spencer Petras, biggest question mark. I think if Iowa had had a good quarterback, I, they would probably be the team that ran the Big Ten West most years. But I, I think it's Iowa. They'll, they'll go eight and four. But at the same time, like I said, they go ten and two win the West. It wouldn't surprise anybody at all. I mean, heck, I'm sure Michigan is already dreading that trip to Kinnick Stadium because you know it's going to be a night game and it's going to be a game that somehow Iowa will probably find a way to win because that's what Iowa does, but they'll still go 8-4. and four. Yeah, I just – this team would be so much better if they didn't have Spencer Petras as their quarterback. I really just think he's a liability for what they can truly accomplish. Um, but like you said, it's Iowa. You know, they're always coached well. You know, they always run the ball well. That defense is always going to be strong. I still think, yeah, I find it hard to believe they won't win at least eight games. And if they get any more, it'll really depend on how Petrus plays. If he could be a game manager, they can get to 10 wins and potentially win the West again. If he's below average, eight games is probably their ceiling. So, you know, we'll see. We'll we'll see how he performs. Yeah, and quickly just run through their schedule. I think the difference between eight and four and ten and two will come down to the final two games of the season for them. Uh, that because again, just quickly run through it: South Dakota State, Iowa State, Nevada, Rutgers, Michigan, Illinois. Looking at those, uh, was that six games, five and one, uh, and then Ohio State, Northwestern, Purdue, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Nebraska. Sorry, so the last three games. Uh, the question is, can they go? Uh, two and one uh, or better in those final three games to get nine or 10 wins in the regular season. Because uh, I think they brought, like Mari said, they could definitely beat Michigan. I have it chalked up as an L right now. Ohio State definitely going to be an L for them. But uh, I think those final three games, I, they could go 0-3. I wouldn't be shocked. They could go 3-0. You wouldn't be shocked either. Ready to move on to Purdue? All right. Purdue, Penn State's first opponent this season. Uh, obviously, they returned one of the top quarterbacks in the Big Ten and Aiden O'Connell, but do lose wide receivers. Uh, David Bell uh, to the NFL. Milton Wright is uh, ineligible uh, academically. Jackson Anthrop is gone as well. Um, they also lost uh, running back Xander Horvath, their number two uh, rusher from last year. Like I said, Aiden O'Connell does return. So offensively, that is a big one for them. But he definitely doesn't have the weapons he had around him last season. Defensively, they don't have George Koloftis. They don't have Jalen Alexander. They don't have Marvin Grant. 
Uh, so they did lose quite a bit defensively, but overall still returned 14 of their 22 stars from a year ago. Um, Jeff Brom's teams uh, have been up and down during his time at Purdue. Uh, one went nine and four last year after winning just six games in the two seasons prior to that. I think Purdue is going to take a little bit of a step back this year just because Aiden O'Connell doesn't have those weapons. I mean, if he's able to, you know, create new chemistry with the wide receivers he has and that chemistry takes off from week one, uh, definitely could have a repeat of last season. But overall, a, a tougher schedule here. Penn State's open the season. Indiana State, Syracuse, FAU, all winnable. But Minnesota, Maryland, Nebraska, Wisconsin, Iowa is an incredibly tough middle part of their schedule before ending with Illinois, Northwestern, and Indiana. So I think they start their season 3-1. and one. I think they win the last three games. It's all going to be about those middle six games. Yeah, Sorry, middle I, five games. I agree with you with the weapons part. David Bell was absolutely that dude for them last year. I cannot believe he slipped into like the fourth or fifth round wherever he went to Cleveland. But yeah, I think it's going to be really tough for them to to replace, you know, that firepower that they had last year, you know, in the receiving core. I think Aiden O'Connell is a really good quarterback and I think he's going to make plays against Penn State and he'll probably get a couple of touchdowns for himself, but I, I just don't think that they're going to have enough to beat Penn State you know, in terms of that offensive firepower. And I think it's going to hold them back throughout the course of the season a little bit compared to what they were able to do last year. Like you said, I think six games is very realistic for them. It's probable for them. But can if they, whether they get to seven, eight, or nine games, a lot of that will depend on, like you said, the middle stretch of the season. And if they can beat teams like Nebraska, you know, and, and those other teams in the middle of their schedule. So they'll be interesting to see how they replace those guys. You know, you mentioned all the guys they lost, and you also have to include tight end Garrett Miller, who's expected to have a huge season for them and tore his ACL early in camp this year. Um, yeah, Aiden O'Connell's a good quarterback, probably one of the most underrated quarterbacks in the country. But I just, man, I can they block for him? Can they run the ball? Can they play defense? There's a lot of questions about this team. I'm sure Braum will get the best out of them that he can. But yeah, I think they wind up, you know, six and six, seven and five, somewhere like that. And the tight end with Penn State. Like you said, Anthony, they're going to make some plays. They're going to put some points on the board early, but in the end, too much talent there, and it'll help Penn State pull away. And I think I think that'll be a problem in general for Purdue this year. I could see them being that team that for two and a half, three quarters is extremely pesky, and then in the end, the depth issues finally kick in, and we see them kind of fade late. But like I said, I still think they get to a bowl game. They've got a good coach. They've got a good quarterback. That's a good combination. But moving on uh, next, quickly, Illinois. I have them at 4-8, and eight, though. I think there's a chance they could maybe find a way to win six games this year. Um, I think this offense is going to be better this year with Tommy DeVito at quarterback. Obviously, there's still a lot of uh, questions, but Chase Brown is a very good running back. Uh, Isaiah Williams is a good wide receiver. They have quite a bit of talent on that offensive side of the ball. Defense, they returned six starters as well. Um, there, there's still holes here. There's still things that are going to – be weaknesses, but I think they'll be a. I think they'll be better than a four and eight record town wise, and they're going to play that way. I I see them kind of like Nebraska last year, uh, but it's just it's just a tough schedule. Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota, Nebraska, Michigan State, Purdue, Michigan, uh, not to mention Virginia. I mean, those are all really tough games for a team here that is going in the right direction, but uh, is still 
not up to par with those teams talent-wise. Yeah, really tough schedule for Burton Illini. I think it's a real possibility. You see them start 4-0 and wind up 5-7, and which is just brutal. Um, but, yeah, you mentioned the schedule. It's tough. They, 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 sneaky talent. Chase Brown's a great running back. I think we see more up-tempo stuff for them offensively this year also. Um, if they get to that sixth one, make a bowl game, it's not going to surprise me at all. But, yeah, again, I think I think it's a real possibility. You see them start 4-0 and and really have to scratch and claw to get the six wins. But de- definitely a program that Brett Bielema has trending in the right direction. Yeah, I don't have too much to add. I just I completely agree with that. I'm still kind of scarred talking about Illinois, so I'm just gonna just gonna say, you know, I think that they're trending in the right direction. I think, you know, I like their running attack. They always have a strong offensive line, and I think, you know, six wins isn't impossible, but five is probably more likely. We'll we'll see what happens as they as they uh. I guess I feel like I'm saying that a lot, but it really is a case of we'll see what happens. Moving on, Northwestern at three and nine. Uh, I, I I wouldn't be shocked if they won a four or five games because Northwestern seems to you know follow a down year by a decent to good year. Um, but I just don't see how they're going to do so. This team has a uh, little town offensively. I mean, Evan Hall at running back is great, but Ryan Helinski and the rest of the quarterback room last year was pretty bad. Defensively, they've lost quite a bit as well. I just don't see how uh, they get more than maybe four wins this year. Just just not a good team. Just not a good roster. Yeah, Northwestern is just always a team to me that just yo-yos between really good and really bad. It, it's kind of remarkable to me how one, remarkable how one year they'll like be nine and three. They win the West. They're in the they're in Indianapolis and in, in the Big Ten championship game. And the next year they're like three and nine, and then they do the same cycle every other year. So I, I think Pat Fitzgerald is one of the best coaches in the country. You know, I, I really like how he runs his program there. So, like I said, it's just not a talented team. They're probably one of the basement dwellers this year. Really tough when they lost Brandon Joseph in that secondary to Notre Dame in the transfer portal. He was one of the leaders for their team, but. Yeah, three, maybe four wins at the most is probably the most realistic for them, which is a shame because I, I like Northwestern and their program. Yeah, I mean, I think three wins is the max you're looking to schedule. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they go two and ten. Um, yeah, I, I think they might be the worst offensive team in the FBS this year, or in the Power Five, I should say, not the FBS, but at least in the Power Five. They're going to be up there. This is not going to be a good football team. Um, yeah, I guess I wouldn't be surprised if they go three and nine, I wouldn't be surprised if they go two and 10. If it's all just, yeah, they're, they're not good. They're, they're, they're going to struggle to score points. And their defense was abysmal last year, especially for Northwestern standards. If that defense does not bounce back, it could really be a long season in Evanston. Agreed. All right. So finally I have Ohio state against Wisconsin, the big 10 championship game. And I'm going to be taking Ohio state, like I said, to win the big 10 title I think in blowout fashion. I have them getting to the playoffs as well as my number two seed, and I have them eventually getting to the national title game, guys. Um, who do you have winning the Big Ten? And we'll get to your playoff predictions in a moment. Buckeyes all the way. I'm not sure they play. If I had to pick a team, I think I'd go Minnesota, but I don't think it matters. I think regardless who Ohio State plays in Indianapolis, it'll just be an absolute beatdown by the Ohio State. I think they're just head and shoulders above the rest of the conference, quite honestly, this year. 
Yeah, I think like most years, it doesn't matter who Ohio State actually plays. Whoever wins the West just wins an invitation to get their butts kicked in Indianapolis. So, yeah, it, it, whoever wins the West to me is pretty freaking irrelevant, if I'm being 100% honest. But yeah, like you, I have Ohio State winning the Big Ten, going to the playoff, going to the national championship game. As we uh, move off the Big Ten, let's quickly give our Penn State predictions, then we'll give our national picks. Uh, so Penn State, I have the Ninny Lions, like I said earlier, at 10-2. Guys, what's your record prediction for Penn State? I'll go first on this one. I actually have Penn State at 9-3 and three this year. I think 10-2 and two is the record if everything goes right. But as we all know with Penn State teams, um, there's always a game or two that they should win that they somehow lose. So I think nine and three makes a lot of sense. Eight and four wouldn't be a huge surprise. Anything worse than that would be a complete meltdown by the team and the staff. So yeah, I'm going to go with nine and three as my official prediction. I'm also saying nine and three. I'm with you. I think 10 and two is a possibility if everything goes right. I mean, how I think 11 and one is an out of the, out of the round possibility if things go right, but I'll say nine and three. I think they lose the big house. They lose the Ohio state slip up another one somewhere else. But after the last two seasons, nine and three for what is in a lot of areas, still a young football team. You'll take that. You know, I was actually going to say that, you know, I was going to ask, is nine and three acceptable to you guys this year? Because for most Penn state fans, you know, nine wins, isn't considered to be a, a good or a great season. You know, usually you want to get at least double digit wins if you're Penn State. I think that's the usual standard. But after the last two years, personally, I would be pretty happy with a nine win season. It would feel like things are trending in the right direction, build more confidence around the program, get the momentum back. I just want to know what you guys think. No, I agree with that. And I think part of it too is you have to take roster construction into 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 the equation here your offensive line is probably still a year away you look on your offense your biggest playmakers might be nick singleton and katron allen who are true freshmen um you know you look a wide receiver there's a lot of young i mean you got parker washington and you expect to be a stud and go to the pros after they should be got a lot of guys behind him young guys who could step up who are young guys you know quarterback wise drew aller is a year away like i i most years i would say you want to shoot for more than nine and three but there, when you factor in everything that's unfolded the last two seasons, the makeup of the roster, this schedule is not easy at all. You factor all that in, I think you would take nine and three and be happy. I do agree with uh, both of you guys on all that, and I will say ten and two is my record on paper. I think on paper, Penn State is better than ten out of the twelve teams that they'll face this year and should win ten out of the twelve games. But like Anthony said, they do tend to trip up at least one game uh, that they uh, shouldn't lose every year. So I think 9-3 is probably likely, uh, but I will go with 10-2 also just to kind of be contrarian from you two right now. Um, and, yeah, 9-3 would be very acceptable, I think, for Penn State fans, or should be, because uh, tough tough schedule. Uh, again, And I, I think 10-2 would be slightly probably overachieving. Uh, based off what they do have town-wise. But again, I think on paper they should win 10 out of 12 games. Um, who's your guys' MVP this year? I have Clifford. Uh, especially if they go in 10-2, that means Sean Clifford had a pretty damn good season. Um, and uh, he, they're, they're going to go as far as he takes them this year. 
Yeah, I agree. They go as far as Sean Clifford takes them. Um, they go as far as the offensive line will allow Sean Clifford to take them also. Um, MVP, I'll say Parker Washington just because I think – I don't know. I just I just can't put that much confidence in Sean Clifford, unfortunately. And I think Parker Washington's going to be the dude who's just going to go out there and quietly just game after game, seven, eight, nine catches, pushing 100 yards. 10, 12 touchdowns on the season. Give me Parker Washington as my MVP. I'm going to go defensive side of the ball and say either Jair Brown or PJ Mustafer. Um, just two guys who not only are they incredibly talented leaders of the defense on the field, but I think in the locker room, those are going to be two guys that are, are really going to be the, the, the glue that keeps that team together along with guys like Sean Clifford. And you really can't put a price on that to a locker room and a team in general. So, yeah, I, I think both on the field and off the field, those two are going to be two of the most valuable players on the entire team. Uh, who's your guys' breakout star on offense and defense? I have Nick Singleton, shocker. And on defense, I have Adisa Isaac. Oh, man. Um, for... Offense, I'm actually going to go with Trey Wallace. I, I think he's somebody that I'm very high on at receiver. I wouldn't be surprised if he carves himself a role, you know, behind Keandre Lambert-Smith. And even, like, kind of surpasses him a little bit wouldn't surprise me. I think he's such a great athlete. I think he's going to make his mark on the offense this year and have a role for them. So I'll say Trey Wallace on offense. And on defense... I'm going to go with Abdul Carter. I've been on that hype train for a long time. I think with the the depth at linebacker, which is very, very thin, I could see him, you know, by midseason, really starting to cement himself behind Curtis Jacobs, pushing for playing time. I think Abdul Carter is going to cement himself as a future stud in this defense. Really like the Trey Wallace pick. I um, think he definitely could have a breakout season, but obviously going to go Nick Singleton. Um, I've spent the last hour beating the drum about how great Nick Singleton's going to be. I'm not going to back down from that now. And defensively, give me Chop Robinson. Uh, kid was a five-star recruit in high school. It appears to be even ahead of what the staff expected in camp so far. Give me Chop Robinson. I think by the end of the year, he could be viewed as one of the uh, most feared and, and best pass rushers in the Big Ten. All right, some superlatives uh, to a degree uh, regarding the schedule. Uh, slash questions. Uh, will Penn State beat Ohio State or Michigan? Um, I actually have those uh, two teams as the two losses for Penn State this year. So I say no. Yeah, same thing. I don't think they beat either of those teams. Yeah, I'm also team no. I, I just don't think they have the firepower to beat Ohio State, even though it's at home. And with Michigan, I just – I still think Michigan's a quality team, and to go into the big house is is always a tough proposition. So I'm going to say they lose that one as well. Biggest trap game of the year, I have Maryland. Um, because, I mean, you look at the rest of the schedule, Purdue, not a trap game, obviously, Ohio. I, I mean, theoretically, sure, but there's I, I don't think there's uh, – I think out of 100 – scenarios one of them is them losing to ohio uh auburn obviously not central michigan northwest maybe northwestern because it's a before a bye week minnesota won't be since it's the wide out ohio state obviously not 
maybe Indiana, but I think Maryland kind of makes sense. It's kind of there in the middle of uh, no, November in between Indiana or Rutgers, Michigan State at the end of the year. Depending on what they do with Michigan or Ohio State, uh, that that could be a trap game there. And and Minnesota is a team that if Penn State doesn't show up, could beat, could beat them pretty uh, – not easily, but it, it wouldn't be shocking. Yeah, I think if Minnesota wasn't the whiteout, it would be pretty easy to say Minnesota. They're sandwiched right in between Michigan and Ohio State. But I think making that the whiteout was a very smart play by you know Penn State Athletics just from the standpoint of you avoid that trap game feeling. But I th- I would also agree with Maryland as the biggest trap game just because you know it is easy to write off Maryland considering how much we've beat them over the years. But that offense is potent. And if they don't take them seriously, if they don't come ready to play, even though that game is at home, they can, Maryland can drop 35, 40 points on them if they're not paying attention. So yeah, they absolutely need to be up and ready for Maryland, regardless of how that three game stretch goes. I I get what you guys are saying, but it's gotta be Minnesota. It's the it's it's week after you go to the big house, a week before Ohio State comes to town. That's the most important. That three week stretch is going to make or break this entire season, most likely. To me, I know it's the whiteout. I get this, but to me, it has to be Minnesota with where it falls on the schedule. That's extremely fair. It's also, I mean, the Ohio State game is going to be tough just because of the, I mean. Those are going to be two brutally physical games against Michigan and Minnesota before facing Ohio State. Um, all right. Who's going to have the most touchdowns for Penn State this year? A quick rabbit fire. Most touchdowns. Yeah. I'll say Mitchell Tinsley. I'll go Parker Washington. I was going to take Tinsley thinking it was going to be you know a sneaky good pick, but Anthony had to ruin that, so I'm going to – Go contrarian here from both of you. Um, damn it, give me Nick Singleton. I'll, I'll take Nick. No, no. I'm gonna have to go. Man, it's I'll go Tinsley. I have to go. I love causing an internal conflict. I, 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 I like. I, I'm. I'm trying to think how many touchdowns could Singleton realistically get. And if he's going to have more than Washington or Tinsley, you're talking about 10 to – I mean, 10 to 12 touchdowns is surely possible, but it would be tough. I'm going to go Tinsley. Um, most receiving yards. That, I'll say Parker Washington. I have I have, I have Washington. I will, I will also say Parker Washington. Most rushing yards. Singleton. We all got Singleton. Singleton, yeah. All right. Um, top offensive line performer. I'm going to go with maybe it's the story, but I'm going to go with Juice Scruggs. I love Scruggs' story. I hope he has a really good year, and I think him being in his natural position at center is going to help him perform better. But I'm going to say Olu Fashanu. I, I maybe that's just me manifesting, but he's got the size. He's six foot six, over three hundred pounds. He's athletic as athletic as 
athletic as heck. If he can be that left tackle that Penn State needs, and he's apparently had a really good camp, the sky's the limit. So I'm going Olu. What's really encouraging to me here, and I feel like this is the first time in years we could say this, I think there's multiple offensive linemen you could pick here and feel confident. I agree with Juice and everything you said. I agree with Olu Fashano and everything you said. And yet I'm going to go with Landon Tangwall because I think Tangwall is just built perfectly to be an all-conference, borderline, all-American guard. And like I said, what's most encouraging to me is I think there's a strong argument to be made for all three of those guys as Penn State's top offensive lineman this year, and that's something that Penn State has not had in quite a while. Like, I mean, the last two years, you were just hoping the offensive lineman could just, like, get in people's way. And, and now we're in mm-hmm. a position where there's multiple guys you could see being the team's best player. All right. Uh, most sacks. Uh, I'm going to go with – I'm going to go to Disa Isaac. I mean, it's one of two guys here, so – yeah, I'm going to say Adiza Isaac is the safe bet, but depending on when Chop Robinson becomes the solidified starter for Penn State, because I think we all expect Nick Tarberton to start game one against Purdue, it wouldn't surprise me if Chop ended up with the most sacks. But for now, I will say Adiza Isaac because it does feel like the safer bet. Yeah, I'm the same way. Give me Adiza Isaac. I know I have Chop Robinson as my defensive breakout guy. And I think by the end of the year, Robinson could be the team's best pass rusher. But like you said, Anthony, you don't know when he's going to actually become a true starter. So that's that's the only reason I'm going to go Isaac over Robinson here. All right, most tackles. I'm going to go linebacker Curtis Jacobs. Hmm. It's a tough one. I mean, I don't I, – I get your train of thought, but I feel like we're going to see a lot of four-two-five with teams just trying to take Jacobs out of the picture, realizing that the other linebacker might be, like, not good. Um, so, I'll, I'll say give me Tig Brown. I like that pick a lot. Yeah, I was thinking Brown, actually, because I'm thinking, like, usually it's not a defensive lineman. You know, linebacker makes sense. I could see Jacobs, but I don't think it's going to be Wheatley just because I see him, you know, being more of a pass defense kind of guy. So, yeah, honestly, give me give me Jair Brown. I think that makes the most sense. All right. Most interceptions. I'm going to go with Joey Porter Jr. Even though throughout his career, I think he only has maybe two, one or two interceptions. He doesn't have many in his career. I'm going to go bold here. I'm going to say Kalen King, and here's why. Here's why. I think a lot of teams are going to try to focus so much on Joey Porter Jr. They're going to scheme against him, around him, and they're going to throw more towards Kalen King. I think that's going to give him more opportunities to make more plays and get more interceptions. Thus, I'm going to say Kalen King. Uh, That's a great train of thought on Kalen King, and it wouldn't surprise me, but Penn State's best defensive player led the big 10 interceptions last year. I'm not going to bet against it this year. Give me Tig Brown. All right. Where were Penn state finishing the call 12 playoff rankings? I have them between 12 and 15. Yeah, probably somewhere in that 12 to 20 range. You know, like I said, I think they go nine and three at that point. It depends what other teams doing, who were your losses against, what were they like? So I'll say somewhere between like 12 to 20. That's actually exactly what I was going to say. Because, damn, forgetting about me, Dylan. 
if they're yeah, if sorry. they're if they're nine and three, uh, traditionally that's anywhere from like what eleven to thirteen, maybe fourteen. So, yeah, if any worse, you know, if they're eight and four, they'll be down towards that twenty range. So, twelve to twenty makes the most sense. Yep. For reference, the last time they finished the regular season of twelve and three in twenty eighteen, they finished or nine and three. Excuse me, twenty eighteen they did finish year twelve. All right, now give me your bit, your national picks here quickly, rapid fire. We did our Big Ten picks. SEC, I have Alabama over UGA. I think both teams go into there undefeated, by the way. Give me. Yeah. That's how I'm 12 and Alabama against 12 and Georgia. Bama wins. Yep. Give me uh, give me roll tide. I think, you know, there's a, I agree there's a chance they're both undefeated. I think they're two of the three best teams in the country by far with Ohio State being that other third team, and then it's really everybody else after that. So Bama-Georgia, I think Bama wins it this year. If they both go in undefeated and it's a close game in the SEC championship game, do both teams make the playoffs? Yes. I think if they go yeah, if they go in undefeated, they're already in. It's just at that point, that game only decides who's going to be the one seed and who's going to be the three seed. That's all. 100%. I agree. All right, ACC, I got Clemson over Miami. Same. Yeah, I think that makes the most sense. It wouldn't shock me if, if Pitt found a way back into that conversation again. Uh, you know, well, it depends on how they rebound. Dark horse, them. NC State. NC State is a dark horse to me. I do like NC State a lot. I think Leary is a heck of a quarterback. You know, NC State wouldn't surprise me. Pitt wouldn't be the biggest shocker in the world. But I, I do think that Clemson-Miami makes the most sense. Give me Clemson to win it. Problem with NC State is anytime they have expectations, they seem to struggle. Um, Big 12, give me Oklahoma over Baylor. Uh, this one I was going back and forth on, but give me Oklahoma uh, because right now I just trust Dylan Gabriel more than uh, I forget who Baylor's starting quarterback is going into the year. There it's yeah, hear me, hear me out here. Every team in the Big 12 not named Oklahoma might be really bad. Um <laughs> Like, I, I don't even know who to pick for Oklahoma to play. Maybe Baylor, hell, maybe TCU. I don't know, but it, give me Oklahoma in the Big 12. I think that might be the easiest, most, like, slam dunk conference championship pick among the Power Five. Yeah, I can't even pretend like I know anything about the Big 12 this year. Like, I don't know how Oklahoma State's going to be. I'm not really sure how TCU is going to be. You know, I feel like Oklahoma is always the safe bet, so I'll go with them. Um, I'd love to see Baylor win. They're always they're always a fun team to root for, in my opinion. But I guess I'll go with Oklahoma just because it, it's usually the norm. In the Big Twelve, I think outside of Oklahoma, you're looking at obviously Baylor, uh, and then looking at Oklahoma State, uh, uh, Kansas State as uh, that next tier. Um, everybody else kind of lost quite a bit of talent. TCU could be, you know, sneaky. Um, the question, the question yeah. is though, is Texas back? Oh yeah, Te- I mean Texas, Texas could isn't that isn't that you know Oklahoma State, Kansas State uh, area? But I, I just, I think, I don't think it's a slam dunk that they're going to be as good as everybody thinks they're going to be this year. But but are they back, Dylan? Are they back? They're not back. Of course not. No, they are not back. Thank you. There, there is nothing on this planet I want more 
than for Texas to beat Alabama and turn around and lose to UTSA. That would just make me so incredibly happy to watch the swing of emotions on Texas message boards and for people to think they're back only for them to be not even close to back. It would just be, I mean, it's not going to happen because Alabama's going to throttle them. But man, that would be cool. Well, that's going to be a All smart. right, uh, Pac-12, yeah. <laughs> I got Utah over Oregon. I feel the same way. Um, I love Utah this year. I actually have Utah in the playoff. I, I think they're a sneaky good team. Um, I, I Maybe I just, again, I'm manifesting, but I, I think Utah, Utah can do it. So I'm going Utah over Oregon as well. Hey, nobody I, thought Michigan my, would be in the playoffs last year. Yeah. Or my pick here, part, part of this pick is keeping in mind that the Pac-12 no longer has divisions. Um, they're still set the schedules up based on the old divisions, but they're going to take the top two teams in the conference by record. So this is a matchup we couldn't have had in the past, but give me USC and Utah. Um, I agree with everything you said about Utah. I think they're a sneaky good team. Them sneaking in the playoff would not surprise me. And USC, I know there are still a lot of holes in that team, but Lincoln Riley coaching an offense has got Caleb Williams throwing to Jordan Addison. Yeah, give me USC and Utah. All right. Uh, playoffs. Who's your four playoff teams? You don't have seeding. That's fine. I got Bama, Ohio State, Georgia, Oklahoma in that order. And then Bama, Ohio State, Bama winning it all. I'll stay true to form. I'll go Bama one, Ohio State two, Georgia three, Utah four. Who you got I'm winning? going total. Roll Tide. I'm going total chalk here and we'll use this to remind people the BCS created more parity than a 14 playoff Alabama, Ohio state, Georgia, Clemson, and give me the crimson tide over the Buckeyes. You got them over the Buckeyes too, Anthony. Yes. I have Ohio state beating Georgia in a, in a legendary game. All right. So we can all go lock it in Alabama over uh, Oklahoma, sorry, Alabama over Ohio State in the national championship game. Heisman, I have Bryce Young going back to back. I don't think Bryce wins it again because I think there's a lot of old timey voters out there who are miserable old men stuck in the old ways who would not want a player to win it twice. Um, man, that's tough though. I, as much as I would not like to see this because I loathe everything about this university. I think it winds up being either CJ Stroud or maybe even Jackson Smith and Jigba. Yeah, it's always so freaking hard to predict the Heisman odds this early in the year. Um, I would love to see Will Anderson just have a monster season. Sure. And, I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility. He's the first defensive player since Charles Woodson to win it. Um I mean, I definitely think he's the best player in the country. So it's it's here's a here's a couple of dark horses I have actually written down. Um, so Bryce and, and they're odds. So Bryce Young was plus three eighty, which is why I took him. Uh, Caleb Williams at plus seven hundred. Jameer Gibbs at plus thirty five hundred. DJU at plus forty five hundred. Will Levis at plus five thousand, and uh, Cam no, no. Rising at plus six thousand. If Utah's making the playoffs, Cam Rising probably had a pretty damn good season. 
if Will Levis wins the Heisman Trophy, I will sell my house. <laughs> I don't think Will Levis is going to win the Heisman Trophy, but at plus 5,000, I may have to put it down a couple bucks. Another sneaky good one, and I mentioned his name earlier, is Braylon Allen. Um, I would not be surprised yeah. if he has like a 1,800-yard rushing season. And if Wisconsin can get to 10 or 11 wins, would not shock me if he's in the Heisman conversation. Jameer Gibbs is another one I really like. For some reason, I'm high on the running backs this year. Yeah, I would love Travion to Travion Henderson, too. Yeah, I would love to see Gibbs or yeah, Gibbs have a really good season and just go off for Bama. That would be kind of fun. But my 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 uh, personal favorite is Will Anderson. I, w- I would love to just make that happen. I just can't sure. believe uh, Is he focused? Is he having fun? <laughs> uh, and then uh, while I was talking about dark horses, uh, dark horse bets that I, I think I may put down some money on, get your quick thoughts here very quickly. Uh, UGA at five to one. I mean, I I think you have to put some bucks on money on that. Clemson eleven to one. I think Clemson's one of the most talented teams in the country as long as DJU plays well. That that's a good bet. Uh, and then Texas A and M at twenty six to one. About. I don't think they win. Stop talking. We've been talking about Uyangalele for like two years, and you still haven't learned his last name. It's probably my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> hey, DJU is just so easy to set. Easier set. And then A and M at twenty six to one. I don't think AM is going to win a national title this year, but at 26 to 1, I think they are the second best team in the Big Ten West this year. So I don't think it's a horrible bet. No, the AM bet would be a sneaky good one. Um, last year, I got Georgia plus 500 in July and put some money on that one. And boy, did that ever pay off. But yeah, I, I think Texas AM is a sneaky good bet there. And like you said, Georgia they really do bring a lot back and what they do lose they're replacing five-star talent. So I think that's when you got to look into also and Clemson just, I mean, I have them in a the playoff. They're Clemson. They're in a bad conference. Their team is uberly talented to completely write them off would be foolish. Yeah. the A&M. Notably A&M is also 19 to one to win the conference, which I think is a good bet. Uh, I mean, in terms of value, and then a and they're and they're also eight to one to win their division, which again at that value, I don't think you you can say no, Anthony. Yeah, the A and M one is interesting just because you know I'm curious to see who ends up being their quarterback. I don't think they've announced their starter yet, whether it's Max Johnson or they have that five star freshman. His name is slipping my mind right now, but they they've got some competition for that starting quarterback spot. Is that Haynes King? No, it's not Haynes King. Haynes King's the dude who got hurt last year. But he, Haynes King is also in the uh, conversation. But they, they've got some options there. And But I think around you know, the quarterback, they've got some weapons. And I think with those five-star freshmen they brought in, that defense is going to be phenomenal. Watch out for Evan Stewart to be like a instant impact guy for A&M as well. You know, wide receiver. So... A and M would not surprise me if they won ten or oh, even eleven games this year. Connor Wegman. Yeah. Connor Wegman. Connor Wegman. Yes, he's he's going to be a good one too. Also, uh, conference uh, good, you know, good value. NC State eight and a half to one. Baylor seven and a half to one. Penn State sixteen to one. All good value there. We obviously went through a lot this episode, and we could uh, give our week zero picks. So what I'm going to do is I'll just post all those on uh, Twitter uh, 
for uh, this week's picks. And then next week, we'll be sure to give all the picks uh, on uh, the recording of the podcast. Uh, but until then, next time, everybody, thanks for listening. I know this was a long episode, covered a lot. But thanks for listening. If you listen to the entire episode, be sure to check us out over at Indy Nation, the Penn State Rivals site. Uh, but outside that, we'll talk to you guys next week. We'll be back early next week with the preview of the Purdue game as Penn State football returns next Thursday. So until then, enjoy your weekend. If you are going to watch some high school football this weekend, enjoy that. If you're watching the games on Saturday in week zero, enjoy those as well. And we'll be talking to you guys real soon. Have a good one.